We're on episode 12 of The Work Item, uh, and we have another special guest today, which is uh, Christina Wang. Welcome, Christina. Welcome, Thank Christina. Thank you, Dan and Courtney. <laughs> really cool to be here, because like, I like how your podcast like lets people who might not necessarily be in tech like listen to all these stories and journeys that you guys are kind of exploring, so really excited to be here. Yeah, I think that's one of our goals, is to give people a perspective that maybe are outside the industry, right? So and people that are aspiring to kind of get into it. And that's something that I would really love to talk to you about today is kind of what's your journey been and what would you advise people that are kind of getting on this path and getting started? So t tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us kind of what you're working on right now. What's exciting you? Um, yeah. Give us some background. <laughs> um, sure. So um, currently I'm working as a product designer at Facebook. I work on Ads Manager Core. So um, I've, I've basically just graduated as well so I'm a class of 2020 <laughs> during the pandemic and I think I was very lucky this year I I was able to get a job before like everything kind of you know started getting together that's um, an incredible first job to land to, to end up <laughs> at Facebook right off the bat though that's like big kudos right yeah, I mean, I feel like I had a lot of really good mentorship. Oh, when I was doing my Microsoft, my Microsoft internships, like that's where I met Dan. And honestly, I like looked up to him a lot because I felt like um, as a designer, you do end up doing a lot of PM work too. So one of the things that really helped me was one of the first pieces of, of advice that Dan told me from like that internship was, you know, prioritize correctly. Um, not prioritize correctly, but like choose three things and let's tackle those because I had a huge backlog of like design tasks that I wanted to get done because I feel like as a designer, you learn, you know, um, you want the best possible experience. But looking at the list, that was like the best piece of advice I got me. I got like afterwards and I started like thinking more critically through it. And I took that back with me like through school as well. So, um, I yeah, mean, I would I, love I, to hear kind of, sorry, I, you know, I think that it's great to hear about your education. So again, I've, it's been a minute since I've been out of school. So I would love to hear like kind of what's your background there? Like what prepared you? Um, do you feel like it kind of prepared you? Cause I think there's a lot of people out there looking for resources. Like, should I go back to school? Could I just learn it on my own? What do you feel like your education did for you? Yeah, um, so actually, my education, I graduated from design school. But before that, I was actually studying in business school. So right out of high school, I was really uncertain about what I did. And I decided on business administration from the very beginning. Because um, at that time, I was really interested in marketing and figuring out how people think and like being un like understanding how to like market products to people. So that's mm -hmm. how I kind of got started initially. And through that process, I, I did my first marketing internship back in the day, and I really didn't like it for a couple of reasons. I didn't like how I had to um, basically market a product that I felt like didn't resonate with like their target audience. And that confused me and it frustrated me a lot. And um, I got into design through like mentorship as well. So my boyfriend's sister, while I was attending business school, she was studying um at York Sheridan Design and on the weekends I would spend time at his place so what ended up happening was I would just sit beside her and watch her kind of like design and um 
she started teaching me things along the way about how she approached problems. She would come from it from like a user perspective or from a human perspective. And that was so intriguing to me because for me, um, that was kind of like the missing piece. And then she started encouraging me like, oh, maybe you should look into going into some workshops downtown that are teaching UX. So I decided to go ahead and do that in my own free time and um, went to like a general assembly intro to UX design. It wasn't even called general assembly back then. It was called something else like Bitmaker. And um, I fell in love with it. And then I decided uh, I was going to tell my very Asian parents, I'm going to transfer into design school. And they were shocked because I, they, they thought like, you know, design was something that was like art based, like, oh, you had to be good at art. And looking at me, you know, I was never into art. I'm very analytical. That's why I like fell in love with like systems design as well. I like seeing how things work. Um, so they were, I had to create a research report for them, basically telling them why UX design was like the <laughs> next best you thing. You had to pitch it to after. them. <laughs> yeah, I had to get them. Stakeholder buy-in, stakeholders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was a really scary thing because for them, they're like, oh, we don't, we don't, we just don't want you going down a path where you know, there's no like career jobs. But then at the time, like I saw so many UX design po job postings. I, I started from there. I was like, I think I'll be able to get a job if I go into this program. And I think it's something that I'll be able to be excited about. So um, they then allowed me to enroll in Sheridan's interaction design program, which at that point was very, very new. They only had one graduating cohort. Um, so it was really risky to do that. but. Um, as for like the education portion of it, uh, honestly, I like loved my time in design school. It was so different from university. Uh, I think like because I came from like an academic background where I was able to like, you know, have those study habits in place, design school really pushed me to kind of like be very project based and figure out also how to just like generally work more with people. I never had exams in design school anymore. And um, the education was super hands-on. So instead of spending time studying for an exam for hours, which I dreaded, it ended up turning into time that I was just like, oh, I want to spend more time on my projects. Like um, my first systems design class was in second year. Um, and I, I like fell in love with like that entire process of getting to know like your user and being able to get a lot of critique from my peers. So um, like I had never been able to like have this way of working before that isn't really present in like university learning. Um, so yeah, there's like that, that there's that whole like mm -hmm. shared social understanding, right? You're not only working and, and this is in the real world too, you're working with others to solve a problem, right? It's not necessarily just your acumen being tested all the time, which I think, you, as you mentioned, like business school, it's very like exam driven, it's very like textbook driven and less project-based learning, right? Mm -hmm. And design, mm -hmm. design by its very nature is that. It's like basically you got your toolkit and you got to figure out different ways to use it. You know, you're not always going to use the same approach that you would for like taking an exam, right? Like, I think that that's the exciting part about design is yeah. it's actually it's actually working with people. And understanding how to work with people and the same thing with PMing, yeah. right? And like PMing is so much a people 
people job, like being able to interact with people, being able to understand what's important. Yeah. Yeah. So I, in, I, in comparison I, to like the 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 project based learning you were doing at university or design school, and then comparing that to you mentioned you did a boot camp, so you did actually do a boot camp before just to kind of see like if you liked it, if you really enjoyed oh. it, right? So I didn't, I didn't actually enroll in a boot camp. I just did like a a workshop type of thing that they were offering. Like for oh, me, okay. I hadn't, yeah. So before design school, I had never coded in my life before either. So I've never touched like HTML, CSS, like JavaScript. That was completely new to me. So they were teaching like how to approach UX design from like a web design perspective. And um, in design school, that's also where I started learning how to code and think, about how engineers like approach like implementing software and things like that. Um, so I, I didn't actually get the chance to attend bootcamp, but I do know like a lot of people who have. Do, do you think that it yeah. actually helped you? So you mentioned kind of understanding how engineers think. Do you think that actually in any way, shape or form uh, helped you propel your design career just by having that understanding? Mm. Um, yeah, for sure. I think like this particularly helped during my time in like the garage. So a lot of the times the biggest problem that came up when I was doing my internship and it was the first time I had ever worked with a team of software engineers as well. But because I had that education from school that taught me kind of kind of how to implement a design using code, I was able to um, start thinking about okay if I was them I see like this brand new UI design and they're looking at it and they're like that looks like a lot of work but um, I started breaking it down into tasks so you know okay let's migrate this UI component over here and um, creating like a timeline of how, like timeline and steps of how to kind of how I would approach coding it so that gave me like a language and also it helped me show them like what it, that design would look like broken down if we were to go ahead and implement it afterwards. So um, they were like, wait, this isn't that hard afterwards. And they just started picking up the task immediately. And um, it became like, oh, Christina, what's next in the design process and wanting to then after the UI redesign, it was just like, what about the experience itself? How do we improve that? And they became like a lot more engaged with it as well, which I like, it's like what you said, Courtney, like the collaboration and the people aspect, that was like what really empowered me to do my best work there. So, yeah. It's interesting because as a designer, like if you have a vision for a project and even a PM, you know, anybody working on a product or a project, it's like, if you have the vision, you have to be very open to collaborating and taking in others ideas, right? It's not just kind of, bullnosing your way through and like pushing your agenda it's like actually it's actually building it's like okay i have this baseline right like i have this baseline and i need you to add the drums on top of it and i need you to add you know all those percussion lines or we're adding vocals it's like you're it's more of a band than a mm -hmm. yeah just like a, a one-man band right like you have to be open to kind of receiving that from other people and i think that's a learning process in of itself because i think when i was going through school and this is this is going to date me it's like you know 10 years ago and a lot of it was focused on like the hero designer, right? Like you had to be kind of like do everything and be able to solve mm. all the problems um, and have a vision. So like keying off of, you know, we had the, you know, especially a lot of agency work, like keying off the one lead designer and kind of going off of that. It's like, yeah, that's great. 
but you can build a lot better things with with the contributions of many, right? And smarter things. Mm-hmm. Our, our products mm-hmm. are so complex today. Web products are so complex that you have to have the analytical mind. You have to have the creative mind. You have to have all of that coming together. I think that, so, that's the deceiving part about the title when we talk about like product management, when a lot of newcoming PMs, they see the title manager and they think, oh, I tell people what to do. Uh, and the reality is like, it's totally not the case, right? Like you are, you're managing a product, but that requires a lot of collaboration with design, with engineering, with research, with data science. Like it, it's never a one man show. Like it, it, if there's a team where somebody's acting like the, this kind of a one man telling people what to do, that's kind of the, you know, you, you probably don't want to be on that team. <laughs> Yeah, I 100% agree. And it's really interesting that we're talking about this because actually in my fourth year, we had a collaboration class. So we had one in both semesters. And I found that really fascinating about why they taught designers not only how to design, because um, Courtney, like what you're saying is, um, especially what I see this a lot in design projects when it's only a group of designers, it's um, usually one designer who's like taking the lead and um going like a specific direction and all the other designers are kind of following it but um that collaboration class taught me about you know how how teams like work really well together and um that's why when I started reading more about how to create like more effective teams and how to empower people is um creating like that environment where everyone feels like they can equally contribute and also all have psychological safety when they're like working on a team together because like the last thing you want is people not wanting to speak up or being afraid to speak up because they'll get shut down or um they're they're not sure of what to do and what you want to do is like you want to push up your other team members as well in that regard so that was definitely one of my classes and I'm not sure if in your design school you had that but um, I thought found that really, really helpful before going into the real world full time. I think speaking on my own experience, like the, the field was so new, like the whole idea of like having, you know, user experience wasn't even really coined. It was all like, it was all called human mm. com- computer interact. Human computer interaction was, was the thing that it was called. And it was always lumped into the computer science program. Like they were totally different schools, mm. like the, the design building at my school was all the way across campus from the engineering school, which is where computer science was. So there was no idea of like user experiences, more just about like building building websites or building building software was relegated to the, the likes of, like I said, like the software engineering group or the software engineering studies. And then uh, websites were kind of like this new thing, right? Like back then mm. web apps weren't even very mature either. Like, I mean, you're talking, 2006 to 2010 when like flash websites were still a big thing so like very rich creative experiences a lot of the time like again it was bespoke there was a lot of agency work happening so agencies were ta- were tasked with building these software products and adding like mm. a layer of gloss on top of them right and so mm. now we've gotten to this world where you know not only big companies have design teams but even very small ones so the roles are real, are a lot more proliferate and they're also a lot more specialized so you don't have just one guy happen to play the whole, you know, the whole ensemble. It's many different people doing doing those those very tightly scoped specialized jobs, which I think, like I said, ultimately it just leads to a better product. Um, and we have much more mature and thoughtful products. Well, 
people would argue, you know, about that too. Like we have products that are taking advantage of people too, but um, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting to see where the field's developed and um, as somebody that's looking to get into it. So I'm sure you've probably talked to your peers, but then I have people that are, you know, further along in their careers and maybe they're already doing something. They're totally outside the tech sphere, but like, how could I become a designer? Um, And I'm honestly like referring them to people like you that are, fresh to the field and have just done it because I think you're the most involved and in, in know kind of what works. And I love the idea of having a workshop, right? Like doing a workshop just opens your eyes to what the possibilities are without being so um, committed to like a big, you know, a big upfront check or having to go back to school with the time commitment. So I think that's great to hear. Um, so what, what, yeah, what workshops would you recommend? What are, what are your peers doing? Um, or, you know, people that you've seen break into the industry that are your age? Um, that's a really good question. I think it depends on like what type of designer you are as well. I don't know if you've seen it, but recently I've seen that when people are joining design school or trying to break in, um, they usually are more attracted to either like big tech design work, um, versus like agency work. I feel like there's a divide now because, um, I think right now for a lot of early designers, the perception is that with um, agency work, you're allowed to be a lot more creative versus with big tech, you know, they're, they're more, um, you, you need to like kind of deliver a certain experience in order to drive metrics. Um, so I feel like right now, the way that people are getting into design. So for me, I was um, trying to was curious about how people did it so what I started doing was um, and what I tell a lot of other people is to start going to hackathons as a designer which um, you know at in the design school a lot of people looked at me and were just like why would you go to a hackathon like uh, you barely know how to code and um, my reasoning was I wanted to learn from other people so being able to observe how software is made and um try and challenge myself as well to uh step outside of like my own like designer box and try and get to know other people in the field as well as like network with these um companies that i had never seen before and um like again it allowed me to collaborate with a bunch of people that i never would have been able to and and then i started wanting to tell other people at my school about how awesome hackathons were so then i founded like a club there called hackademics trying to get other designers to go in and um i think it's been fairly successful now so i feel like being able to kind of exit out of your workshop mode or like only being like a designer and trying to see like what else is out there is definitely really important as well as um, for me, it was also reaching out to a lot of other people. So a lot of designers who are only like a couple of years ahead of me, maybe like three to five years um, and learning about them and their journeys. It was really scary doing that because I was scared that people would think I was like annoying for asking them, you know, I was just wondering, how did you get started and um, figuring out what their design process looked like as well as what their work looked like. Um, that was really helpful for me to hear their stories as well as hear how they thought about problems and how they also put together their portfolio because I feel like for designers, a lot of the work is really visual and your first impression of like a designer is what you see on their portfolio as well. So I was really fascinated yeah. by, yeah, how people put Everything. together case studies. 
Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you, we had a, we had an amazing interview with uh, Jin Yang, who's like the VP of design at Capital One. And he mentioned that his interview process, right? Like his portfolio review process is like, I have like 15 seconds where I like make a decision to continue looking or not, you know, first mm-hmm. impressions are kind of everything. And so like, if they don't trigger a couple things for me, like curiosity, right, is one of them. Like, how do you mm-hmm. optimize for that baseline, right? It's It's just like any other product experience. You have to think about who's your persona? What are they doing, right? So the context of, okay, I'm reviewing hundreds of candidates and I have, I can only spend 15 to 20 seconds on each one and, and deciding whether to put them in the, the look again pile or not. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. You know, learning from your peers and seeing what worked, who's had success. Um, again, there's not like a lot of metrics on this. So it's kind of more networking and mm-hmm. learning to learning to ask the right questions of your peers, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. I, I saw you got your job at Google. Like how'd the interview process go? And being genuinely curious about what different organizations are doing for their interviewing process, too, because I think that there's certainly this narrative of um, every company is kind of optimizing for a different thing in that interview process. Can you identify what it is going in? And then you mm-hmm. have spoken a lot about this, too, with me personally, like yeah. figuring out if you're going to go to a company, you need to understand what's the test you're you're preparing for. And I think this is great because you come from that business background where it's like exam driven. I think that the design interview is very much kind of like that oriented that way right mm-hmm. well, yeah it's, it's, it's an important point where uh, and christina you're alluding to that with you know talking to peers and understanding you know um what it takes to be in the company talking to other uh designers in the field and the beauty of the modern technology is that we have things like social media we have twitter we have linkedin where uh you're no longer constrained by geographic boundaries you're no longer constrained by the fact that you know oh i don't know anybody at uh, company x because I can just look them up on LinkedIn, send a message and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'd love to break into the field of design, product management. Uh, do you mind if I set up you know, 30 minutes for a call or you know, for a coffee chat if you're somewhere nearby and we're past this whole pandemic thing? But uh, the reality is like we, we have much more access to people now than we ever had before. And it would be a shame for somebody to not take advantage of that and just say, Oh, you know, if I want to reach out to Courtney, I'll send him a message on LinkedIn and say, Courtney, I'm a designer too. I'd love to learn from your work because I see you've done amazing with, you know, docsmxer.com. How can I do something similar? Uh, and I don't think somebody like Courtney would just, you know, flat out either reject or say, oh, no, no. It's like, especially for somebody coming into the field to, I don't know, to me, it's always personally exciting to have people reach out and say, hey, like, I'm trying to be a new PM. I just joined this company. Can you spare, I don't know, 15 minutes to talk about it? It's like, sure, no problem. Happy to. Here's my email. Yeah, like, I think, like, that's even just, like, the first step of um, getting over that fear of reaching out to a lot of people who are in, like, your positions. Like, you guys are very senior in your careers now, at least, like, from my perspective. (laughs) So you guys already, like, already know. We're so old now, Dan. We're so old. (laughs) We're becoming old timers. Yeah, no, I know. This is like you're very uh, quote unquote senior. Sure. <laughs> you're elderly, uh, elderly designer. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like um, you guys have already kind of like figured it out. Whereas like um, for us, it's kind of like still feeling it out as you go. And actually, um, one thing that came up to my mind when we were talking is the fact that I actually just used to put my portfolio in front of people who 
I admired their design work a lot and asked them to give a, like a 10 second scan of my work and what their first thoughts were. And I created, I think, five different versions of my portfolio before landing on like the one that I kind of kept um, and took notes about what they thought I could do better and how I could improve as well as like what aspects of it were good. So that was something that I really appreciated um, people taking the time to do because I also did that at hackathons. Like on if it was like a 48 hour one, I would on Saturdays go around to also like different recruiters and get their eyes on it. And uh, that's actually how I got my first internship at RBC. So um, that was really cool. <laughs> um, seeing how open people were to just like looking at the work and seeing how much better it could be and how to optimize it. Well, and I think that the kind of gets to a, also an important point where, especially early on in the career, like feedback is critical. It, you have to have feedback from people that are around you. You have to have feedback from people that you work with. You can't work. And again, to your original point of, you know, if you would have worked in isolation just by yourself in an office, just like shelling out new designs left and right. Well, sure, you might learn some things, but you're not going to learn as well as if you're actually putting designs in front of people and saying, tell me what you think of this. How can I make this better? Because there's a, a lot of people around myself, around you, around Courtney that have way more experience than we have combined. Um, and, you know, to me, growth always comes with feedback. Like you, you can't nullify the effect of feedback. You, you can't go without feedback. And, and failing. I mean, I think an important part of my development has been I did do freelance work and I did try to run my own business, right? And do basically an agency model and work with clients of varying different business backgrounds. And I think that that built a lot of skills as far as like um, social acumen to like go up to people and just tell them the value of design, right? And having to sell that cold turkey, like you don't, you're not an in, you know, inside a big organization where that's already been decided for you. It's like, literally you have to walk up to you know, this motorcycle shop and tell them why they need a website and they're going to need an e-commerce solution, right? For parts or whatever, like that, that type of conversation with people that don't know your world, um, builds a lot of skill, um, in talking about design and talking about design in a layman's terms, because I think there's, there's mm -hmm. a lot of link, uh, there's so much lingo thrown around in our, in our daily jobs. And I honestly, it's like tiring, um, to deal with it. It's like, come on, let's just get to the point. Like we're talking, you know, you're just beating the bush. Like, let's go ahead and um, talk about what the real goal here is, but, um, yeah, like running your own business or, um, I had an, a, a chance to run, uh, two different Kickstarters, um, with other people that were, they weren't originally my ideas that were just helping other people kind of envision their ideas. Um, those types of types of projects are like liberating and you learn a lot from them. You learn a lot from failure, um, too, right? Like one of the Kickstarters mm -hmm. was complete, well, it wasn't a complete failure, but it was a failure and you learn from it and you move on and you say, you can kind of reflect on it and, but you still have something to show, right? You still have a story to tell. I think those types of stories are really compelling, um, both to talk to other designers, but then even just when you go in for an interview, um, yeah. cause it's such a, it's such a cop out, right? Like to go into an interview and be like, Oh, I've never had any failures. Like I want to, I want to know about your, <laughs> that would be a, a red bit. flag. If somebody that you come into an interview and they never fail, that's, you know, even to the smallest extent, like everyone fail at something. You know, it's like everyone like did something that you're like, oh, that was a learning opportunity. And it's not, you know, this is where I think that there's the perceived idea of failure as a bad thing versus failure as a learning experience. And a lot of times 
we can even not necessarily point to something as a failure versus, oh, you know, I uh, my project, the deadline slipped because I forgot to account for something or I forgot for the fact that, oh, this, there was this other mm -hmm. stakeholder that needed to uh, be a part of it and they didn't know. So there's a bunch of new requirements that came in late. Like that happens to everyone. I, I don't know, like if, if you interview somebody and they come in and be like, I have never failed. Everything went perfectly every single time that I did it. Like, eh, that, or, sounds, or, you that know, sounds like a lie. You get into these conversations where it's like an interview phase and these people, you, you're automatically trying to put your best self out there, but can they be vulnerable? You know, you're not trying to make them feel uncomfortable, but you're also trying to understand how do they process pain and failure right? Mm. Like fr from a project and like, can they respond to that in a working? Cause like I said, it's so much of it is people and relational. Um, and how do you work through setbacks? How do you, how do you move forward from a failure? Like resiliency is really important to me, um, in like a project team. Um, because there's going to be projects that you're maybe it's like really experimental it's cutting edge and you're excited about it and you're passionate about it. And then it goes out there and it's not what you expected users don't receive it well or it performs really poorly and you are championing it in your side your org and that can kind of make you feel bad when people say hey that was you know that was courtney's idea and it didn't really work out the way that he was selling it mm. um so yeah like that's there's a level of maturity there with like the design it's not only critique but it's also just like vulnerability and being able to to be okay with being wrong sometimes mm -hmm. sometimes Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what are you excited about right now? What are you uh, actively kind of working on? And obviously you're working at Facebook and you have that going on for you. Uh, do you have any fun side projects? Or are you doing anything? It doesn't even have to be tech related. Uh, stuff that's getting you excited. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, the exciting part right now is trying to figure out how my life is uh, gonna be laid out because we're also during the pandemic. So I'm honestly kind of on survival mode still, um, which sounds a little bit weird, but for me, like onboarding remotely has been a little bit overwhelming since it is in the ad space. So that uh, I've been trying to read more up on it, like on the weekends and trying to get like to know the space a bit more because I think um the, other thing about being a designer that I found really fascinating was designing for people who weren't me and learning from their experiences too. So um, in my spare time, I've been trying to do that as well as like figure out what hobbies look like now, because I think from being in school, uh, all I was like kind of a workaholic. So I didn't really have a life outside of trying to push my projects to be better. So I'm trying to figure out what work-life balance looks like right now, especially since I'm like glued to my desk like 24-7. I'm literally physically fighting the urge to open up my work laptop and continue to just look at what's going on. Um, do you guys have any tips on work-life balance and figuring what that looks like as well? I, I'm sorry for like changing the topic, but I was just no, curious no. because I'm trying to balance yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's actually a fun topic because it's also a very, you know, it's, um, I, I have this kind of, I read a tweet recently where we're not working remotely right now. We're working from home during a pandemic, which is not the same as your typical remote work lifestyle. 
I'll, you know, I, I'll, I'll actually, you know, I'm curious what Courtney thinks about work-life balance uh, since he's worked remotely way longer than I have. Uh, and I'll, I'll chip in as well. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of feelings on this because it's like personally impacted me a ton with the pandemic going on. So I've been working remote for almost nine years now. It's going to be 10 this next year, but this year's just so different. Um, I have everything I could ever want in an office space. I have an, a dedicated office space. I have all the equipment I could ever want. I have all the ergonomic things, right? I'm like fully equipped. Uh, there's no reason I wouldn't be comfortable, but uh, there's something about a regular cadence of like socially interacting. Like um, I've always had the, the luxury to travel on site and be with my team or meet up with my team, like in a, you know, every three month cadence usually, or even more frequently. And those those flashpoints as a remote employee are incredibly vital to the fabric of like your attachedness to your team. And I can't really say it any other way. It's like, a, it's like that, that checking in point is a string. It's like a, it's like a marker and it gives you energy to continue to the next one. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can wander in the, in the woods, but you got to come back to that, that signpost occasionally and, and that meeting point for everybody. And so I think not having those opportunities has like really affected me socially. Like I feel um, kind of starved for just being in the same room with people, being, being there with a lot of energy. Um, and the same thing it impacts your like energy when you bring it to the projects, because it feels like it's just, honestly, it feels like it's one massive project that's just been going on and on and on. And the only, you only see each other in a, a video format. So that's been like mentally really hard to deal with. Um, even, and I consider myself an extrovert, right? So like being in the presence of other people is really important. And then you don't have your usual coping mechanisms. I mean, you can't go have a really nice dinner um, in your under normal circumstances or go out with your friends to large gatherings, right? It's just, it's so different. Um, and, and your coping manners have changed. Um, I would say a couple tips for people that are going through that. So things that I've been trying to do, I've been literally just trying to get off my property. So get out of your apartment, get out of your house. Like, yes, you, you are working um, maybe at your house full time because there's not a good place with internet or you have your whole setup. That's how I am. I'm very picky. So I want to be at my office, but there's no reason I have to be here um, after, you know, 5 PM. Like I can go to a gym now and the gyms are open or I can go walk a trail. Um, I can take, you know, whatever it is, go ride a bike, um, whatever your hobby is, maybe you can take it somewhere else uh, and, and find uh, a, just a different setting to put your whole mind and your body in. And then the other big one for me has been uh, my walks. So being able to go out in the mornings or in the afternoons and walk and be in nature. There's something about that. Like we're looking at screens all day. It kills us. <laughs> like I think I feel like it takes part of our soul slowly over time. Um, go out and be in nature because it makes you just, I don't know, reconnect. That's it. I mean, pretty simple, but you got to be mindful of it, right? Because like you said, there's a gravity. If you're just like, oh, I'm done. I'm going to, like, I haven't played video games in months. I've, I've played a couple times with Din. I'm very like, you know, you know, playing sessions. But um, yeah, I can't bring myself to like look at a screen right now longer than my work day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think I'll I'll echo the sentiment. So for, for one, I'm just like, I'm just like Courtney in that I can't, I'm not one of those people that can, can work like at a coffee shop or at a library. Like I need my setup. I need my three screens. I need my webcam. I need my me mechanical keyboard, the good mouse, uh, the speakers that I like. So uh, to that regard, 
you know, work-wise, I, I haven't found a way to like go somewhere else and work somewhere else. Like that, that's not a thing for me. Uh, the, the part about kind of having strict uh, boundaries, and I think that that kind of ties into every person's need to define those, right? Uh, and it, to me, that means like at 5.30, I try to be good about it. Like sometimes, obviously, there's work uh, past those hours when certain deadlines hit. But generally, at like 5.30, that's the cutoff. I close the laptop. I uh, Funnily enough, I have a uh, like the, the switch that connects all my keyboard and mouse and everything via like a USB plug to my work laptop. And I just unplug it and plug it into my personal one. And that's it. I can't see work email. I can't see work notifications. Nothing. So until the next morning, I will literally not know about what's going on. And I think that's an important boundary to have. Uh, the other one is... I never install work-related stuff on my phone, so the people cannot, you know, I, I can't just uh, look at the email during non-work hours or get like notifications when people ping me on Slack or something about certain things. Because again, unless it's urgent, then people that need to reach me will reach me by my phone. People know my phone number if it's truly urgent. If it's not urgent, that means I can get it in the morning. And I actually, finally enough, put together a document that. Uh, I got inspired by uh, our good friend, uh, Isaac Hepworth. And uh, Courtney, you probably know him. He works on the uh, the Azure uh, side of things. But uh, he had this document. He, he called it How I Work. Uh, and that document kind of outlines these work principles of, you know, uh, I don't respond to emails after certain hours. I Here's my workday starts at 8.30, finishes at this hour. And I kind of did the same thing for me. And it acts as... I want to say like almost like a forcing function where I have to commit to following the things that I wrote down and I publicly said to people that this is how I work so that people cannot say, hey, Dan, you're a hypocrite. Look at, you know, you said you're working this way, but you're actually not. Um, so that that worked for me. And I think that, you know, to what Courtney said, it really does help to uh, just not be on your screen all the time. Like going on walks to me personally, like I have a forcing function, I have to walk my dog. And, uh, you know, I have to go outside and it's very easy sometimes to be like, oh, you know, I'll go outside and I'll listen to a podcast or something. I refuse to even do that sometimes. Like, you know what? Like, forget it. I'll just walk. I'll, I'll just literally walk and listen to whatever's around me. And that helped. I, I don't think short of, you know, to, not to sound cliche, but to, to an extent, it comes down to like willpower and just practice. Practice in that once you shut off the laptop, you close it. That's it. Like. Just don't, just don't touch it. it. It sounds, it's like, it sounds very like easy and words like, well, yeah, of course, just close it down. Um, but that, that worked for me. Christina, how have you been handling this? What have your little, little um, tips and tricks been that have worked, you found work for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it was like, right now I think because I haven't physically relocated as well I have been trying to set up boundaries so spending more time with family while I'm still able to be in Canada before I have to ship myself off to the states um so being really open with my team about oh you know uh, uh these certain days in the evenings especially because I'm working from the east coast when everyone's working on the west coast that's been a challenge um telling them you know 5 p.m for me is there 2 p.m. So um, letting them know, oh, like I, I want to get to this meeting, but um, just on certain days, I, I can be flexible, but not being available during that time. And um, also figuring out how to prioritize um, 
So, you know, uh, today I'm going to work on these three tasks and get them finished. And uh, that's what I'm committing to. If I can't get to the other thing, then I'll like uh, move it to my other task list. And I guess like what, what I was thinking about when I was hearing both of your answers, which I found really fascinating how you're able to, to kind of just like turn it off and, um, you know, start going about like your own lives. The question that came up for me was, and that I'm having difficulty with, is like building domain knowledge. So, um, you know, I know both of you work on really complex projects. Like, you know, um, how did you guys like feel comfortable enough, like not knowing everything? Because I feel like as like a new grad, um, I'm trying to focus on how do I contribute to the like impact of my team and, you know, maximize like that potential and feel comfortable with not knowing everything or not having an answer for everything because I feel like every single time it's just me having more questions than I do answers so I spend my time like just trying to read up on information to make up for the lack of domain knowledge I have you guys think that you're able to kind of unplug from like that because you guys have already built like that domain knowledge or what is it that enables you guys to just like turn off that part of your brain yeah, no, uh, that, that's one where, you know, I, I'm one of those people, it's funny because I talk to my wife about it all the time, where like, I just love working on projects. I, I love working on projects, whether it's work-related, not work-related, to me, it's always, like, I love learning new things constantly, like, it, it's just how I'm wired. Uh, to that extent, I think, um, you know, the, the one thing that I want to call out is like, it's fantastic that you mentioned that you do is you ask a lot of questions. Like to me, if I work with somebody who never asks any questions and just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know everything I know, I know, no, no. Like that's, I, I don't want to say like a red flag, but probably like, huh, there's like some warning signs there because like, is it truly that this person just knows 100% of everything and never asks a single question? So I think asking questions is a good start, right? Like to, to build a domain knowledge, you have to ask questions. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when I can say that I know everything absolutely and I'm the only expert that knows like from A to Z. Uh, we're working in technology. The field changes daily. I, I don't think uh, either of us are prepared to say, uh, yeah, by the end of 2020, I'll be the absolute expert in this technology X or technology Y or whatever that might be. It's always changing. So you, you can't you, you can't put a limit and say, okay, I've had enough domain knowledge because the domain knowledge evolves itself. Uh, so to me, in that regard, you know, I, I always try to, one, uh, work on things that help me expand th that domain knowledge, right? So like during the day, I want to work on things that help me grow uh, and make sure that I'm not doing like mundane tasks or, uh, you know, updating JIRA tickets or something like that, right? Like I would much rather be like knee deep in code and user research, talking to customers so that way you're kind of making your job uh, also the thing that expands your skills. You're combining the two because you're spending eight hours of your day at least doing that stuff. Why not make sure that that helps you grow? And short of that is just a matter of, uh, you know, being able to experiment on your own time sometimes for things that you enjoy. So you're talking about hobbies, for example. For me, uh, I fiddle with things that are completely unrelated to my job where right now I'm like reverse engineering a USB LED light. Totally irrelevant to my job. Totally irrelevant to my future career prospects. But it's fun. 
Uh, and carving out time for that, I think helps. Uh, I spend time reading uh, on topics that interest me. That's another thing that I do to kind of expand uh, my horizons and just kind of try to carve out at least some time during the week in the morning or in the evening. Uh, Courtney, what do you think? What works for you to expand the, the domain knowledge outside of your work hours or during work hours? So back to that, I'll get to that in a second, but I think uh, Christine, you brought up a great point about like having questions all the time. And like, I, I always tell people like I am the lowest common denominator. So I'm, I'm designing for myself. Like I don't, sometimes I go into projects, I have no idea what the hell's going on. And I'm just like, all right, I'm a kid in a candy shop and I'm just going to like start grabbing things. And, you know, somebody's going to slap me on the wrist. Like somebody's going to stop me at some point. Um, but keeping like my notes app and my notion are a freaking mess. Like I tell you what, I have just notes everywhere. Like as soon as I think of something, I'll jot it down. I have all these pieces of paper next to me. That's just like little, little notes, like, and, and they end up becoming ethereal. Like they don't really matter. They're just kind of like brain captures. And I throw them away after a while. Um, but that, I don't know, that process for me is like how my brain works. Like I just need to put it down somewhere and I might come back to it. I might not. There's a lot of times that these questions get answered in a natural conversation with an engineer or, product or a PM or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think you got to capture those questions somewhere versus trying to do it, try, trying to be proactive and like reading up on everything. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of fell into that trap early in my career where it's like, I don't know um, enough about the subject area. I'm going to read everything. But it's some of the stuff I read wasn't relevant. It didn't end up becoming relevant at all to the project. So I wasted time, right? Like I spent time focusing on the wrong things or I spent time reading up on the wrong things that didn't really ultimately impact um, what I was working on. So I think there's a little bit of balance of that. And then obviously lean on your peers. I'm a big, like, let's get into a call or I'm going to leave this in, these notes async. And if you have an answer, just type back here really, you know, real quickly. It doesn't have to be super thorough, but these are the questions I have. Send them a message. Maybe they answer them. Maybe they don't. Um, that's a great, great process. Um, and then if there's any sort of internal internal way to capture that, right? Like Stack Overflow. I worked at Stack Overflow. We had an internal Stack Overflow instance, and people would ask questions there. So like, think about, is the question I'm asking something that would be valuable to other people? And could I make content out of it? This is something that Din does. Um, uh, you mentioned the other day, Din, that you found an article from yourself in college where you're trying to solve a problem and you wrote it down. Um, I think that's an awesome way to kind of just get in the practice of, you know, writing down your thoughts. Um, and then if you come up with a solution, put it out there. So yeah, you, you might have a question that three other designers will eventually have that onboard into the team. Um, it's great for onboarding too, right? When you come into a subject area and it's a, it's a kind of an established area inside the product team, it's like, you know, I made some notes about this when I started onboarding. And this is how we can improve that process, right? Now that I've been here for a year, I can look back and, and think of ways that we can address that. Um, but you might not have that insight for a while. And it's just, it's okay to sit on those questions. And then as far as then you mentioned like doing things outside of work um, and to stay like up to date on the domain, really honestly, like Twitter is my lifeblood. So like uh, I follow, I my Twitter is basically all, uh, pretty much professional. Um, I use it for that purpose. It's a networking tool. Um, try to stay on top of tech. And then, yeah, I, I do fun little projects on the side. Like right now I'm building a Hackintosh just because somebody asked me to. So I'm, I'm diving back into something that I had done years and years ago and I'm trying to learn um, some new things. So yeah, that's it.
So, Christina, how about yourself? How are you learning new things or how are you expanding your knowledge in design outside of work, I guess, or maybe during work? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think for me, it's it's um, I, I think for one of my hobbies right now, I have been getting into a more like mechanical keyboards. So figuring out how to assemble those and um, I'm going to try and challenge myself to like put one together <laughs> myself. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, I another love, person I, that I know that does that. Yeah, I, I like I love buying like just like I started out with keycaps, but then I went down this rabbit hole of figuring out, oh my god, it's like a custom keyboard that you could put together. So I've been uh really into that recently. Um I, I'm gonna try and assemble one. And in terms of like design knowledge, um I think having conversations with um other people has been really really helpful and Courtney I, I like how you said that you know use me as lowest common denominator because I always do that and I didn't realize like that was a thing um, but I guess it does make a lot of sense because like I even remember um during my Microsoft internship uh I, we were working on developer tools and I had no idea what we were working on and looking at like the UI and all the copy and everything it was so confusing to me so um the way that our team approached it was okay if christina can understand it then we can ship it <laughs> it's <laughs> like i don't want to yeah as a as a designer i don't want to be a power user profile right like i don't want to be that person because if the power user is designing it it's going to be hard for people to use yeah exactly it was um it was a tool it was to help um introduce azure to students as well which was like a sec like a secondary goal of our project and um, it, it, yeah, they're like introducing more variables from, you know, all these sophisticated to controls and everything, advanced settings that all these power users wanted. But um, as a student, if you're trying to onboard onto Azure for the first time, you don't really know what's going on. And you have like other products like, you know, Amazon Web Services as like a base or like maybe you never even touched cloud services before. So um it was really funny being able to just uh sit down with everyone and talk about it in like a really like layman's terms way as you guys have like talked about it before so for me it's it's been like also just talking to other designers and at, at work and trying to get them to explain it in layman's terms to me again so that i can start comprehending okay this is like what we're doing um since like uh i think it's what was a really interesting point that you guys like brought up was how you don't want to spend your time just proactively reading up all work that might not even be relevant um so being very more like strategic about it and figuring out okay what pieces of information am i missing like doing an audit of that and then figuring out okay th this is like kind of like the tactical action step that i can uh go ahead and like reinforce like what that knowledge was and uh, for me, it's also just been continuing to go through people's like LinkedIn profiles and just see like what other people are working on and um, seeing how, like, I don't know, you guys are making me really want to be on Twitter right now, too. I haven't been on it in so long since like my middle school days, but <laughs> I feel like I, I've heard that Twitter has a huge design community. So maybe that's some, like something that I would look into like embedding myself into more and then just reading like medium articles as well like i love reading about ux problems that designers have been trying to solve 
And then also keeping up with like what's happening in the tech industry, like, you know, Oracle acquiring TikTok. I thought that was crazy because why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 2020, like scratching my head continues. Like, yeah. But you know, like, it's an interesting thing, though, you you called out that I, I actually I love reading people's personal blogs. This is something that I think the, it's slightly underrated in 2020 when we have social media, Twitter, Facebook. Um, but I just love finding like little gems. If you go to like, say like Courtney's website, it'd be like, oh my gosh, Courtney has a website. Like, let me see what he did. Let me look at his portfolio and see that kind of stuff. Like it just, I don't know. It's so, uh, I don't know if I'm too old school for that, but it, to me it's like, I, I just love personal websites. And I, I set up my RSS reader, which also like who uses RSS nowadays, uh, just to be able to track of when people post like a new blog post or they updated it's, their about page or something. It's wild to me because I think your personal website is like the most powerful tool you have really to do what you want on the web. Because yeah, like there's a lot of, places that can distribute but your website is like yours you can do and there's like the sky's the limit so for builders it's great right for crafts people or you know we all three of us are kind of interested in that it's just a great place to tinker and be like your space um that nobody else controls and nobody owns like but you so uh, yeah I'll i mean i guess a I, bunch I, of I always loved the- on it and like the marquee elements that i had like in the old like myspace days you know it's like just the- <laughs> There or like go. a wavy text, like Clippert style wavy text, just or a song that starts playing when you come to my website. Full <laughs> <laughs> page takeover. Reminds yeah. me of like Tumblr. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. You <laughs> go to like some random page, and it's all like the background is this giant GIF from some like movie or something, and well, yeah, it's there fantastic. Was like a, there was a phase there where they like people would have like these. Um, flash humans walk out from like the bottom corner of the website oh you remember yes. that where it was like on transparent background and they'd have like a it'd be like a person walking out and they'd like turn around and they'd be like oh hi and then they'd start like a little text bubble would come up and be like oh my gosh that was the that was before the the modern like this little chat bot icon that pops up on every website that you go to now it's like do you need some help like no i literally came to your site like a minute ago okay. I think I remember doing, I, I remember doing like a Silverlight project for a client that wanted that. Like we had to take the person and they were on a green screen and we had to cut them out in the alpha layer. Like it's just nuts to think about where the web, like we went from like things like that that were like kind of wacky and crazy to like, I don't know. Some things have gotten modernized. Honestly, yeah. like for those flash games, they had like the stupid little games where, you know, you have to like how far you can, like, was it, like, toss the monkey or something like that, where you have to, like, go <laughs> whack it all, or something? All, all those concepts got turned into iPhone apps. Yeah, like iPhone that's true. Games, there's right? there's like, probably an iPhone app for it now. <laughs> yeah, I've seen, like, uh, ever since iOS 14 rolled out, I've seen so many people doing amazing, like, iOS home screens on, like, their phone now, since it's completely customizable and showing me, like, all so these different apps. Yeah, I'm just like, dang, that's like another level of customization that I didn't know I needed, but now I want to do it. See, that's yeah. one of the one of the one of the core principles of both PM and design. Never ask customers what they want, translate or to what they actually need, right? And this shows you that Apple is actually pretty freaking good at that. Because probably if you ask people, it's like, do you need these widgets? They'd be like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't care about it. 
But once you start seeing the creativity of people, like, I don't know, Twitter is another example where I saw that, like the, the trend of iOS 14, like home screens and the, the stuff that people do is just, I just pinned a bunch of icons and they were like, oh no, I have this like complex system for organizing a bunch of stuff that flips back and forth, like, wow. Yeah, like, I think it's really fascinating as well that you you called out that users don't always know what they want, because I think, like, the other thing that I really valued from my education was being able to, like, participate also in UX research and know how to, like, execute it myself, because one of the things that I didn't realize that if you were a designer, this is, like, kind of your superpower is looking at being able to, like, take quantitative and qualitative data and translate it into, like, a great experience, because, um, I was reading a case study about like, you know, Facebook reactions as well and how that came about. Like no one wanted that. Like if you ask them, do you, do you want yeah. like these faces showing up on uh, when you want to like there something? Was like, such, yeah. a, such a backlash against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but now everyone's using it. I don't think I've ever seen another social media like company where you can like or react to things that doesn't have that feature anymore. So. It's really interesting how those concepts are extrapolated in design. Yeah, no, it's and and like you said, it's a you know it's also an ever evolving field, right? So the things that we think that customers need today doesn't necessarily represent what customers need tomorrow or in a year. And there's always room for innovation and to just come up with new ideas, try them out, and see what sticks. Because you know there, there's for every one of those reactions. Uh, there's, you know, a thousand ideas that probably didn't stick with customers, but there's something that actually did. Um, so with that, I know we're getting slightly at time and this has been so fun that we actually time flew and I didn't realize we're almost at the hour. Uh, so Christina, where can people find you if somebody wants to connect with you online? Where do they go? Um, yeah, for me, the best place would probably be um, sending me like a message on LinkedIn. I'm really open. Like I've been spending my time like just talking to people trying to break into design who um, maybe want some tips on like interviewing for tech companies, like very open to connecting on LinkedIn, as well as like my website, ChristinaWang.com. Um, my last name is a bit weird. It's not with an A, so it's uh, W-E-N-G. <laughs> Um, and that's probably the best places where people can find me. Excellent. And we'll make sure to include it in the show notes and as an overlay so people actually know uh, exactly where to go. And Christina, thank you so much for being here and sharing your experiences. This is, I think it's super valuable. And I personally learn a lot from you. And uh, it, it's always so fun to have these conversations to see how people uh, break into careers because it's it's been a while for myself. <laughs> and it's a good reminder that it's kind of our responsibility to help uh, others grow as well. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dan and Courtney. It was really fun. Thank you for your time, Christina. Cool. Thanks, folks. Until the next episode.